go back again welcome to firm fatherhood we're back one more time man we want to say first off thank you everybody for all the response all the feedback and everything from the last episode it was great that's exactly what we were looking for a lot of people reaching out giving ideas giving thought process and and different uh subject matter for us to chew on and talk about even more so we appreciate it and we hope we can kind of keep kicking out this content for you man and keep giving it to you this is firm fatherhood my name is Seabrin worthy Herman Treas. Earl Wallace. And we have a special guest today. Introduce yourself, sir. What's up, gentlemen? This is uh, Ryan Gardner uh, from Straight Out of GI. Quit being, so, quit being so informal. I need you to give us the title, sir. I need you to give from the beginning <laughs> to the end with the middle initial. I need all that, bro. Come we need on. some acronyms. We need some acronyms, <laughs> baby. <Hit me. laughs> you want me to go into the title already? Hey, hey, give us who you are, man. That's what you're here for, man. You, you, all you right, all right. brother and brother. All right. Brian Kenneth Gardner, since I got to give my middle name. There you go. There uh, you go. <laughs> <laughs> grew up with these brothers, but uh, in terms of what I do, um, well, grew up in Gary, Indiana. I've been living in Indianapolis for, well, since 2001. Um, uh, practiced law here for a while. Was a magistrate judge for about a year and a half, and then was appointed by Governor Holcomb at the end of 2020, took over in uh, Family Division, uh, used to be Civil Division 10, um, and the presiding judge in Civil Family Division 10 at this point. So been doing that for a couple of years, uh, dealing with all kinds of issues, you know, divorce, adoptions, guardianships, all the juvenile case types, delinquencies, termination of parental rights, abuse and neglect cases. Love what I do. Some of the stuff is hard to see, but uh, that's why we wear the black robe. So. Glad to be with here with you, brothers. Hey, man, we glad to have, have you. you. Good to have you. Glad to have you, you know brother. Glad to have you. Our relationship, man, and friendships throughout uh, this uh, this call right here is span past twenty five years, man. So oh, it's a lot yeah. of good stories. Look, got good friendships, man. Love, brotherhood. Uh, we had to get our brother on here, man, so we can chop it up with him, man, and and kind of see uh, how he got to where he is today. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me get some of this, man. This is my my friend for probably well over 30. I've known him longer than I've known either one of you. But this is my guy coming off just, you know, the worst, most bland, unexceptional fantasy victory I have ever seen in my whole life. He should, ashamed of himself. He should <laughs> bury his head in the sand and never come back. I agree. I second that. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> It was it was a beautiful thing having to go through you, Sebron, and Corey. It was beautiful. I, that's the that's the absolute worst championship team I've ever had in my life. Agreed. He slid into the playoffs on his back like a turtle lost at sea <laughs> and ended up winning. <laughs> I take the win, brother. I take the win. Sebron, give me my strap. Man, no, I can't give nothing. I'm, I'm still upset. I'm still in mourning about that whole situation, man. 
Oh my God! Who Let's move on from the fantasy. <laughs> Let's talk, talk about man. anything else. Him, right? Anything. <laughs> and it's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, this Ryan, is gonna... if I could interject real quick, why don't you yeah. tell us how you became a father? We got a lot of fathers, a lot of um, ways to become fathers. So why don't you tell us how did you get to fatherhood, sir? Old-fashioned ways. I'm going to answer for it. When a man and a woman love each other very much, Earl. Um, but no, we have non-traditional traditional fathers, but the non-traditional way seems to be the more traditional way, if you catch what I'm now it drifting. It's more yeah, common. So. It's more yes. common. Uh, well, I met um, my wife back in 1998. We started dating in uh, February 1999. Um, dated um, for about six years. We got married July 2nd, 2005. Had our first son on uh, July 29th, 2008. Um, had our second son October 31st, um, 2013. We're still trying to figure out whether he's a trick or a treat. It's, it's been more uh, trick lately. Um, <laughs> nine years old. Uh, and then uh, the baby we had on December 3rd, 2016. So he just turned six. So, you know, we just, uh, when we got married, we had a bunch of uh, uh, people, you know, when you guys gonna have kids, you know, you need to hurry up and have kids. And um, our goal, you know, at the time, even when we were dating, we always said the first two or three years of our marriage, we were just gonna take and travel and just enjoy one another's company because once, as you all know, once you have those kids, nothing is yours anymore. Um, <laughs> right. The food, Seaburn, Seaburn, truer words were never spoken. Seaburn told me, Ryan, there are going to be days when you are sitting in your office at work and you just going to want to cut your lights off and cry because you haven't slept <laughs> in, in several days. <laughs> and I, I've been through that, you know, you just, you know, it, it is what it is, but you know, you know, reminiscing about how we would be laying there with all the boys. We both laying there in bed and, you know, you got to get up every so ever so often to, you know, feed the baby and all that stuff. And we get to the point, you probably all have been there. You land next to one another, baby starts stirring. Neither one of you snores, but at the minute that time, the, the minute that baby starts snoring, both of you start snoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, let me understand this correctly, Ryan. You got three boys, huh? Yes, sir. So you can't miss. I can't miss, and I wanted a little girl, but all my buddies, all of my buddies, you guys included, have told me, be glad I only got that boy. And <laughs> so. hey, be careful what you wish for, man. Yeah. These girls, man, they got this particular voodoo for their daddy, man, and it's all yeah. bad. It's all bad. You know, you, yeah. they look at you with those eyes, man, like, damn it. How much is it? I don't. Yeah. What? <laughs> hey, I'm I got a question. For daddy's girl, I can rub I, my boys up. I'm, a little girl would be perfect like, for me. All I right. had a I had a question for the uh, for the uh, special guest. Um, I'm going to read a statement. Someone that was very close to me, you know, since you, you know you got three boys, she said that she was describing to me the uh, a classroom that her son was uh, put in, and she described that classroom, which was mostly boys. She described it as. Like the primate cage at the zoo. So <laughs> you got three boys. Tell me, you know, how true or untrue is that? How do you manage? It is absolutely the truth. Um, I am a walking jungle gym the minute I walk through the door. Um, as soon as I come in, I got a 14, and they're all in boxing. So I got a 14-year-old 
throwing punches at my chest. I got a nine-year-old on one leg, a six-year-old on the other. And I can take them now, but give it a few more years, I'm going to have some trouble. Um, but it, it, it definitely is. You know, they they never run out of energy. The inmates run the asylum. You know, when we had two, it was man-to-man. Now it's, it's zone. And it is, you just, you, you, can't, you can't keep up with it. And mommy is always telling the boys, you know, mommy's a lover, not a fighter. Go go deal with your daddy. So I'm I'm out there. So they beat you there. up. Yeah, that'll, that'll come to me. but I enjoy it. You know, it keeps me young. You know, it keep, you know, I, I wouldn't change it for the world, man. They need, you know, kids need. I'm sure we'll get into this uh, later, but kids need their fathers there, and um, they need that example. They need that time. They need that attention. And so, you know, it. it but your friend is very much right. It is. It is like you know, Zoom because they are all over the place, especially the two young ones, all over the place. Never run out of anything. <laughs> hey i got a question for you brother i'm sure you remember this but back uh ryan and i went to high school together and uh our senior year uh we had this thing called a senior retreat yeah so we went to the senior retreat and uh we were just looking forward to getting away from my parents for a couple days you know it was something different something we hadn't done before so we were just looking forward to forward through those eyes but when we get there we start talking about feelings and emotions and all this good stuff so ryan takes his turn to speak about um what was like nearest and dearest to him and what was really most important to him so he chose to talk about me and how uh it was times where we back growing up in gary indiana you didn't see one without the other like no matter what was going on if Ryan had to go to the grocery store, if he had to go to the mall, if I had to do the same vice versa, I was riding with him when he was riding with me. So he gave this heartfelt, uh, short speech about it and had the entire room crying, like <laughs> crying like babies. And I'm like, thanks, Ryan. You know, I, you know, in there, 18 years old, really trying to find myself, trying to understand myself. And the last thing I want to do is be crying in front of my classmates, but I was. Mm. So in the light of that, and in the light of the day today, where we know that it's important for our young men to understand emotional intelligence, how do you go about teaching your sons emotional intelligence and letting them know that it's okay to show their emotions in certain ways, such as crying or, or what, what, how do you approach that with your sons and how do you teach that towards them, with them? You know, I think the best the way the best way I, I prepare them for that and teach them about it is just to be real with them. Um, I don't necessarily have to say a whole lot. You know, I, I talk to them uh, about how you know my father was, uh, my my stepdad. A lot of people don't know I have have a stepdad. He's the one who raised me. My, my biological father wasn't really there. Right. Um, my stepdad uh, was a military guy, probably the manliest man I know. Um, and but he was just you know he did not shy away from telling you he loved you from hugging you tight you know giving you a kiss on the cheek you know um, it wasn't always just the stern direct you know uh, you know manly man pounding his chest all the time he could do that too but he wasn't afraid to be you know vulnerable around Mm -hmm. his son and I, I got that from him and so I'm that way with my sons 
Um, I'm, I, I don't hesitate to tell them I love them. These, especially with, with, with what you're seeing going on in the in the streets nowadays. Yeah. So many of these kids don't. I mean, fatherlessness is an issue in our community. Yes, um, and so many of these kids are like arrows without somebody to guide them. And if they had that male role model, that male figure, you know, I think a lot of times that the issues that we see, you know, gun violence, you know, gang violence, that stuff would would lessen a lot if they had a man there that, that could not only yank them by the back of the shirt and tell them to go sit down somewhere and teach them some respect for authority. That starts, as we know, starts at home. So I try to tell my sons, you know, these things, respect for authority, number one, starts at home. If you mm. respect your mother and father, then you'll go out in the streets and you'll respect, I'm sorry, you'll go out, out of the home and you'll respect your teachers. If you respect right. your teachers and your mother and father, you'll go out in the streets and you'll show respect for the people in the, with the badges and the guns. Um, right. You don't have to necessarily agree with everything you see the 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 role ones do on, you know, on television when we see the stories, but they still carry that badge and that gun for a reason. And so treat them with the respect that comes with the position. And uh, when they learn that from me, I also don't have a problem, like I said, telling them that I love them, uh, hugging on them tight. Uh, they all they don't even want their mama to tuck them in. They want daddy to tuck them in, <laughs> even still. Mm -hmm. you know, the, I, I mean, they're, they all started as mama's boys. Now they're, you know, now they're daddy's boys. And that happens as they get older, as, as you guys, they emulate you. Um, and so I want them to see in me, you know, a mirror of what my father was. I, I know what it's like not to have my biological father there. And I dealt with a lot of issues because of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I never want my sons to feel that way about me, to go through those stages, that ambivalence, uh, that, that hurt, that anger. Um, and then ultimately getting to a point where I had to realize he had his issues with sobriety and, and other things. And I had to forgive him so that I could let that stuff go myself and move on and take that as an example of what not to be and mm -hmm. how to be present for my children and to show them the love that I didn't get from him. Because I never I never want them to, you know, to feel that way about me. Um, and so <clears throat> I'm always upfront with them. I'm always honest with them. I tell them, you know, one of the things I often tell them is um, it's a little bit off topic, but 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 sort of on point, um, which is, you know, scripture says that bad company corrupts good, good character. Right. And so a lot of these things that you see going on has to do with the people you're hanging out with. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. And I looked up because a lot of people are lucky to have one best friend. I feel like I've got a handful of them and I trust all of you guys with my life. And so um, we've always been the same way with one another. We don't have a problem telling one another we love one another. We talk like dogs about one another in good fun. But when it comes down to it, if I needed you guys for anything, I know you'd be there in a the heartbeat. Uh, if I needed you for anything, her and I go at it like cats and dogs in good fun, but I know he'd be on the first plane smoking to Indianapolis if I needed him. And I think he knows it. the same is true for me. So it's a long way of answering your question, C, but it's sort of a loaded question because it has formed the way my, my relationship with my friends, my relationship with my stepdad, um, all these things have shaped who I am and they've directly um, affected the way that I raise my children and how I show them love because that boys especially need that. We're taught so much that men aren't supposed to cry. Men aren't supposed to show emotion. 
right. that it's a sign of weakness, but it's really not. And when you are able to teach them that and show them that love, they learn to hone it over the years. They learn to right. show emotion without being weak. They learn to show emotion and, and show love without it being looked at as a weakness. And those when those kids know their dad loves them, you know, there are studies that show that kids sleep better at night when their fathers are in the home. That's um, kids true. sleep better at night when their fathers hug them and tell them they love them. If you can instill that at them at a young age, you setting them up for, you know, just doing those little things, setting them up for success in the future and for, you know, how and, and for healthy relationships in the future as well. I was going to say healthy relationships is a huge part of that. That's that's huge, man. That's, that's right on. Hey, let me circle back to something you guys were talking about a second ago, that retreat, 96's retreat from uh, right. you guys' senior year. Mm-hmm. That made its way all the way back to the school. That was apparently that was that was some heavy duty, heavy duty uh, emotional movement that really? you all had at, at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially specifically to you, Sebron. You know, <laughs> I heard some heard some things, and I'm like, man, it's it's deep. The, all of the stuff that you all kind of went over. Yeah. I'd love to be, have to have been a fly on the wall, but alas, it was not my business. So, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, it it made that one that retreat made its way back to the school, and you know, people that's one of those topics people were talking about at the time. So, I thought I'd uh, add that to the uh, to the uh, mix as well. The funny thing is, I'll add to this uh, not not to usurp anything here, but I thought I think it's interesting if you talk to people that went to school with us. So many of those factions, you know, we had our crews. Right. And so many of those factions, some of those guys don't even speak to each other anymore. Um, but nobody seems to be surprised that we still tight. That's true. Nobody. Mm. nobody. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I've, I've carried that with me uh, through the years, man. It was like something really special to me. Like I said, up to that point, I can't really recollect a moment that I was uh, that I was ever emotional like that in front of that large of a group of people. So you know, they made it into a safe space. We can see a lot of stuff about Andrean, but they made that into a safe space for us to be able to show those emotions, have those tears, have that moment. And I didn't feel at all afterwards ashamed about it or anything. Like I said, a lot of people approached me after it, man, and really uh, kind of found our closeness, our close bond. They, they they really admired it. So just like Ryan was just saying. So, yeah. And I didn't have brothers. I didn't have, you know, actual brothers. So, you know, my, my, my close friends became, you know, my, my extended family. And quite frankly, I don't, I tell everybody, I don't really consider my best friends friends. I, I think that I have, you know, uh, what, eight brothers. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm good. I feel like I'm the most blessed man on earth, to be honest with you. Beautiful wife, great sons, wonderful friends. All right, everybody, welcome back. We're back here with Fur and Fatherhood with Judge Ryan K. Gardner. We we talked briefly about how uh, things were when you were growing up uh, and that you had a stepfather that came in and kind of changed things for you uh, and your mom when you was coming up, man. And speak about that a little bit, man, about how that really kind of changed the trajectory of your life, uh, you know, when you were uh, a little kid. You, you all know he's a military man. Right. Uh, uh, he's the top of his hit list is four brats. Um, and so, you know, he taught me a lot about um, responsibility. You know, I had to learn. I, I couldn't stand him at first because he started making me cut grass at, you know, <laughs> 11 or 12, started making me save money and all this stuff. And I couldn't stand it because I was used to getting what I wanted. Right. Uh, discipline. Then, uh, discipline. 
Yeah, he taught me discipline. He taught me how to be a man and about mm -hmm. responsibility and the value of a dollar. And when I went out on my own, as I got older and I and I went out on my own, all those things, like I, I, I love that man more than words can say because he prepared me not only to live on my own, but prepared me to take care of a family. You know, I used to watch him get up in the morning. He was up before I was to get ready for school. He was, you know, I would hear him walking around in the hallway at 530 in the morning because he had to mm -hmm. go to the stable with where yeah. he worked 43 years before he retired. Um, and even when he was done with that, he went and got his PhD. I mean, he just, he's hes never done working. And so having him there was, oh my gosh, uh, uh, it made all the difference for me because I, I had a, an example of, of, of a priest, a provider, a protector uh, in my home. Um, mm -hmm. Somebody who treated my mother uh, wonderfully, you know, despite... All the faults, we know how emotional women can be, right. uh, but uh, he loved her through it. He was always patient with her. He was always good to her. He never, you know, treated her bad like like my like my bio father did. Mm -hmm. And and so I learned a lot with how to deal with you know ups and downs of life, how to deal with uh, um, you know difficult times, how to uh, treat a woman. Uh, how to open doors, pull out chairs, all that stuff that was him. And so mm -hmm. it was a, an, an unbelievable, well, I won't say unbelievable because you guys understand it, but right. it was it was absolutely necessary. Um, you know, fathers, like I said, are supposed to be priests, providers, and protectors. Ephesians 6 and 4 uh, commands fathers not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so, and so, it's funny when I think about, you know, his impact on my life, because there's an old saying, you know, that, that men shouldn't take on, uh, you know, adopt kids at, you know, after they're nine years old, because they are who they are at that point, And you're not going to be able to get them out of those bad habits right. um, and things of that nature. So um, I, I was thinking about this and it was, it was funny because I was having a conversation with my wife and she said, she mentioned some things that just really got me to thinking and what it boiled down to was, you know, my mother raised me on her own from the time I was about two or three until she remarried when I was nine. Mm -hmm. um, and <laughs> women tend to be more emotional. Now, I love my mom dearly. Everybody knows me knows I love Absolutely. my mother. She, she yeah, sacrificed for me. She put herself through school while she was taking care of me on her own uh, through nursing school. You know, she worked. Uh, and so she was a phenomenal provider, but she's not, she was never equipped to teach me how to be a man. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what I picked up from her over those early years, uh, was how emotional she was. And I, and I internalized that. And mm -hmm. so the funny thing is, is when you <laughs> take my mother's emotion mixed with my testosterone, right. Uh, and, and you add, man, you, you, <laughs> add, you add a teenage brain to it. Right. It's combustible elements. It, those yeah. are combustible elements. And so um, there was one person in the crew, you know, <laughs> who when he was upset, everybody knew it. And that was yeah. me. Yeah. But yeah. when I look at, you know, the core, I, I met Earl, you know, uh, thank God I met Earl, but I met Earl a little bit later on in our in our high school tenure. Mm -hmm. But when, uh, you know, our core group of friends before I met Earl, it was, you know, it was, uh, uh, you know, we had Chris, we had you, we had uh, uh, Herman, we had uh, Bird. Bird. 
brothers mm-hmm. who's who when they were upset, you never include you, you never would have known. You remember Herman got that, into that fight at Andrean. At school, yeah, I do. And, vividly, and, I remember that. Yeah, I, I remember <laughs> we were in the, we were in the lunchroom, and before it happened, he was just as calm, cool, and collected as he, he was. was during the fight. He was just as calm, cool, and collected as he could be. Mm-hmm. He's throwing kicks and punches, calm, cool, and collected. Right. Um, I would have been turning over tables and hitting glass and everything. Right. But after it was over, calm, cool, and collected. And the one thing that I didn't have that you all had was your fathers were there from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, in instilling, you know, you we we all have great fathers. I include my stepfather in that. Right. Um, right. But. Uh, you all had fathers, your your birth fathers who were there from the get-go. And mm-hmm. you had that example of a man who was teaching you all how to deal with confrontation, how to not make stupid decisions based on emotion. And so it is is it's so important for a man to be there in his household because your, especially your male children, take so much away from that. Uh, and if you don't have uh that male figure there to counteract you know the nurturing and the and the emotion that the woman brings to the table that are that 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 have their good points to balance that out. It's a it can be a recipe for disaster. You know I I said last time you know thank thank God for my friends because I think I thank God for you all because I I think you all saved my life <laughs> quite a few times <laughs> because I was so hot because yeah. I was so hot yeah. yeah. many yeah. many 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 days man and you know. We should definitely give both sides of the argument uh, the attention that it deserves. Right now in the community, we have this rhetoric going on, speaking on how men shouldn't take on other men's children when dealing and dating women in our community. And and it's a back and forth, seems like, um, oh, you know, why would you want to take on another man's seed and take on his financial responsibility and take on the responsibility of this, that, and the third? And I, for one, think that it's irresponsible for us to think in those terms for our community that we can't have another man come in and and kind of shed some light on certain things that need to be taken care of, that need to be balanced and within the home. That 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 anger, that uh, hostility, all those different things that young boys feel when they're growing up, that is tempered by dad. That is taken care of by dad. Dad is telling you. And man, don't let your emotions control you. Don't let them lead you. They can fool you, be in control of your emotions. That's something that I'm telling to my talking to my son about uh, almost every day. Because he'll get in the car after school and he'll be talking about what made him mad and what upset him and whatever the case may be. He looks to me for that. Because as great as moms are, a lot of the times they don't come with that mindset. They come with a different mindset. So children really do need that balance. Fathers are great when it comes to that, but we'll speak on the other side of it and the opposite side of things. I think the issue comes into play in when you're dealing with a woman or dating with a woman and she doesn't allow you to discipline her kids or she kind of shields you from that and keeps you away from each other. And you're in a home where you don't have any hands on at all with the kids are in the home. That just doesn't work. I understand from that aspect of things. But to say and be dismissive about men that are willing to come in and love your child and discipline your child and be there for your child, that's irresponsible as a community for us to even speak on something like that. 
I absolutely agree with you, bro. Um, one of the, the reasons I mentioned that scripture, Ephesians 6 and 4, is because people often think about people uh, provoking their children to anger by yelling at them, fussing at them all the time, just making right. them mad. But you can provoke your child to anger by not being there. And that's mm -hmm. the example. That's the reason I gave the example of me being emotional like my mom was mm -hmm. and handling things in a way that just wasn't rational. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 so you can provoke your children to anger in that way. I think it is absolutely foolish to take the the, the tack that um, you know uh, any man who takes on you know stepkids or you know takes on another man's responsibility is weak. Well, mm -hmm. let's just call a spade a spade in our community. Uh, we tend, I, and I'm not talking about us, but I'm just saying generally, there's really no rhyme or reason for where we get uh, uh, get our our, our worldview. You know that right. where, where does that come from? You we right. why? <laughs> what, what, what statistics do yeah. you base that on? Like yeah. you know, you have no basis. No, yeah. no basis at all. Yeah. Kids in two parent households tend to do. <laughs> Statistically across the better. board. Yes. And yes. The, here's here's the thing that really, you know, blew my mind. There was all these statistics. And children in single parent households that were headed by men had equal success, whether it was not going to jail, not having babies out of wedlock, um, not having not not having abortions, all these not you know not getting expelled from school, graduate from high school, graduate right. from high school. Right. These, they had similar, almost identical rates of success to two parent households, and it blew my mind because mm -hmm. that man is so absolutely necessary to be in the mix. Um, whether that's your father, your birth father, or stepfather, if you meet a man who is willing to come in and he loves you so much and falls in love with your kids and is willing to be the the father that they may not have had right. uh, provide for them in a way that their father that their birth father did not um I think it is it's completely and utterly foolish and that's just putting it mildly to take the to take the the thought process that they're weak because they're taking on another man's responsibility first of all a man doesn't have to do that if he doesn't want no. to he doesn't have to but if a man is lo loves a woman and he's willing to step in, be priest, provider, protector of his home and take care of not only his kids, but her kids by another man, um, that's going to do wonders for that child uh, because that child now has a positive male role model, someone that they can call daddy, someone mm. who may not be their birth father, but in every way that they act and interact with those children and show them that they love them. Don't just tell them, but show them that they love them. Mm -hmm. They are setting those children up for success in the future. So if that person's willing to do that, then I, I, who's listening to some, you know, some person on the internet saying, or oh, he's weak. Why? I think it's probably one of the, I think it shows the character of that individual and shows how strong they are. Um, and I, I come from a situation where a man stepped in and took on, uh, you know, took on uh, raising another man's child, and it worked out for me. So, if that man's willing to do that, I think kudos to him. He's an awesome individual, and he should be commended, not castigated. Brother, I'm gonna tell yeah, you, I too am. I uh, I'm a product of that environment as well, and uh, I believe the Bible says something about the greatest gift to give a child is to love thy mother. Our community is in no position to turn down any good help. You know, as long as their brother is good help, we should open them with. 
open arms because yeah. we need more influence, more male influence, like you said, across the board. Yeah. Uh, mentorship, they, they really, they're doing a lot, but they can't do as much as these fathers can in their own homes. Yeah. I think that influence is, is much needed. Absolutely. It Absolutely is, needed. It yeah. is. And it took my, my, my stepfather years to train me and to help me unlearn some of the things uh, that may be acceptable for a woman, but it's not really acceptable for a young man um, to how to conduct himself and to handle situations and to handle conflict. You know, he taught me to think first. He taught me to be rational about things. He taught me to yeah. defend myself if I had to, but to be willing to walk away uh, if it was necessary, because that situation may not be conducive to, you know, nowadays we, we know people don't, if you win the fight, you don't win because somebody's coming back to look for you with, with heat at that point. Right. We, <laughs> so, we should talk about that all the time as kids. Yeah. 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 Your, your, your actions have ripple effects. And so, I, you know, um, it took years to unlearn some of that stuff. And a stepfather did that. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It works. Now, if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't want you to say anything to their child, you need to think long and hard about who you're linking yourself to. You better go um, the other way. Yeah. You better go the other way because you when when someone is tying your hands as far as being the man in your house or being a leader in your house, how can you properly be that? You you yeah. you, you just can't. And I'll even go. I'll take it. Take it a step further. Um, you know, I became a father when I was uh, 28, uh, 28, 27 years old. But within the course of my life, I have been able to step out of just my father role and be able to help and mentor kids on the clock and off the clock. If you're not willing to, within our community, say a positive word to another young person that might be making a wrong decision or a bad move, I mean, you're doing our whole community a, a, a dis, you know, disservice. You have to be able to kind of speak to your kids' friends, kids that you may run into in the street, somebody that you see about to make a bad decision, and be able to speak up. I mean, those... Uh, those men in our community are sorely missed because we don't have that as much anymore. Now people turn their head in the neighborhood because they don't want to get involved. But when we were growing up, the person down the street would call your mom and your daddy in a heartbeat and tell you about yourself, like what yeah. you was doing down the street. You know, it used to be more of a community um, play. And now it's kind of going away from that. People don't want to get involved with that type of thing. I think uh, we are in a place right now, but we have no other choice but to get involved. So. Absolutely. Yeah, we are those. We are they that need to yeah. get involved. Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Ryan, man, when, uh, as you were getting older, man, when did you start turning around and looking at your stepfather and start to be able to kind of connect the dots with the things that he was teaching you along the way? Because you me you mentioned for a heartbeat when he first came around, he you couldn't stand him. And he just drove <laughs> crazy. When were you able to get to a point where you were able to turn around a little like, damn, like all this stuff is invaluable. This okay. I'm I'm I see where I'm getting this from. I see what's going on. That initial piece, I think, was just me being a you know, four or five-year-old kid, not right. wanting right. not wanting nobody met, you know, <laughs> talk to my mama. Yeah, leave me alone. <laughs> you know, and uh, you know, it was funny because I used to frustrate the heck out of him because I just come out and I just fall out in the middle of the floor, and he'd be like, "What is this kid doing?" <laughs> and my mother would just say, "You, you a biggest fool he is if you your kid." And she would walk over me and just keep going about her business. Right. Um, but later on in life, you know, I fell in love with him. He, 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 he wouldn't go away. He kept coming around. Right. 
Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I've started to love him. He's, you know, started to love me. And so I think probably um, I would say 17, 18, mm-hmm. after years of kind of working for money and understanding things, you didn't like to do it at first. Right. But after a while, it became this is my responsibility. It, it was right. second nature. I wasn't going to go kicking and screaming doing it. So I would say around 17 or 16, 17 is when I started, it started to click for me. This Mm -hmm. is what, you know, and I went, we went on those college tours. I'm starting to think I'm, I'm going to be on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be taking care of myself. And so it's real. I knew, and you all probably knew the people that when they got to, you know, college, they went buck wild. They went crazy. Yeah, they did. uh, Ran up a bunch of credit card debt, just lost Mm -hmm. their minds. Yeah. And my father had a simple philosophy. If you can't buy it with cash, you probably shouldn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now it's good to have a credit card. He would tell me it's good to have a credit card to get your, your credit score up, you know, keep, keep, you know, make sure you pay it off quickly and all that. But generally don't put yourself in, in, you know, a harm's way financially because that stuff doesn't leave you or no, it it's easier to dig, your, to dig yourself a hole than to dig out of it. Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff started to pick up the closer I got to being out on my own. And it just, it went off for me. And so when I got down there, I was able, when I got to IU, I was able to just apply that stuff immediately. Everything I knew I had to do. This is my responsibility. This is how I keep a budget. This is how, I, you know, he was the reason I would monthly get in my checkbook and just balance everything. Right. Um, and still do that to this day. He's the reason that I, I was able to keep myself from getting, you know, going into crazy debt. He's the reason I make good financial choices. Um, yeah. He's the reason that I that I was able to go out on my own and not have to have somebody hold my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, he's the reason that I that I knew throughout the years and watching him, that I knew how to treat a woman. And the reason I wanted to find the love of my life and being able to, you know, charm her and be the gentleman that she was looking for because she was mm-hmm. looking for a man who had qualities like her father. Right. And, Right. And so see how those connect. Yeah. <laughs> see how those connect. Yeah. That's and that's right on point, man. You gotta love that, man. Like I said, um, we're just not in a, a position to be able to turn down things like that or to uh take a stance. That's this is irresponsible, man. Can't do it that. Is. Yeah, it is. Can't do that at all. All right, real quick, uh fellas, you got any uh black businesses that you want to shoot out? Man, I got something, man, of my my own, man, my own business. I have two other partners uh, called Actual Air Solutions. Um, We are, uh, we deal with insurance claims and damage and things of that nature. We do residential, commercial, uh, uh, dryer ducts, uh, air duct cleaning. For any kind of issues, give us a call, hit us up on email, actualairsolutions21 at gmail. We also have a Facebook page and we are also hiring right now. So check out our Facebook page, man. See everything we have to offer. If you're looking for a job, uh, leave us a message, drop an app, and I'll be getting right back to you soon, man. Actual Air Solutions. Holler at us if you need anything. Um, ActualAirSolutions21 at gmail.com. How about you, Ryan, man? You got a couple places you want to shout out, man? Um, my wife and I love vegan food. That's a place called Cul-de-Sac Kitchen, um, a black-owned spot. And I never knew vegan food would taste so good. Like I, the thought of being vegan used to make me want to hurl. But um, and I'm not vegan. Let me put it out there. I'm not. I still, I still like stuff I shouldn't eat. But um, but I do have a, a healthier alternative, and they actually their food is absolutely delicious. So if you ever get a shot, go and get a chance to try out um, 
uh, cul-de-sac kitchen on Midhoffer, uh, I would definitely recommend it. One more thing, we want to shout out our guy Don Hogan, aka Moon Satellite. You can check him out on Instagram. I think the uh, the handle is Moon Satellite, just like it sounds. Moon Satellite on Instagram. He's a, a MC. He's a producer. He does sound engineering. He, he does even more. Matter of fact, last thing I I saw from him, he was looking into uh, executing a, a documentary. So look out for our guy. This is a, another one of our twenty plus year friends. Moon Satellite on Instagram. Check him out, please. Burn brethren. All right, man. Go ahead, Rhino. What, man, what else did you want to say about uh, emotional intelligence, man? How it is that you're kind of uh, leading your sons to be? I just wanted to add that the first example of manhood that your children are going to have is you. And so I think it's important that we do all those things, you know, show them all the sides of manhood so they just don't think that manhood involves being hard and you know, rigid, uh, because I think that's a lot of the problem that we see now. Right. Uh, they need to know that manhood encompasses those things as well as being loving and caring and and uh, and thoughtful and rational. Right. Um, I think that's important for our young men, but I also think it's important for those of you who have daughters, because when they know what it's like and know what it feels like to be loved by a man who doesn't want anything from them, I think that they they don't settle for the foolishness um, and try to find love from guys who just really don't love them at all because they know what it's like to be loved by a real man who provides all their needs, who doesn't want anything from them except for what's best for them. So I think that's important for, for you know. Gold nuggets, gold, gold nuggets, gold nuggets. Drop it. Drop preach, <laughs> preach, <laughs> preach. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I struggle with that. I'm going to be the first to admit. Um, I don't necessarily treat my kids all the same. My son, he gets no passes. Like <laughs> um, being emotional, uh, I, I wasn't really, I didn't cater to that. Like I would try to cut that off. So I applaud you, Ryan, for you know having the emotional intelligence to handle that. Because I remember a couple of times my son would uh, cry at his birthday parties. And it was because my mother was saying that he was emotional. And I'm like, no, he crying because he didn't get something. I would always look at the negative aspect of it. And it was always that mentality of toughen up, you know, stop being soft, stuff like that. So hats off to you, sir. Thank you, bro. You know what, what really brought it out of me was um, I was in law school and I had gotten to the point where I, you know, I, I forgave my, my biological father for not really being there. We were talking just about our families and she brought up my biological father. And I started talking about some things and how he wasn't there. And before I knew it, I broke down crying. There were so many things inside of me that I just did not know were, was still there. Right. And having a chance to talk about it, because I held it in, because that's what we're supposed to do. Seaman always, you know, would joke, talking about how we were coming up and how I had the quickest temper, and Seaman and the rest <laughs> of the fellas, we have to be like, Ryan, it's 20 of them. Like, <laughs> Certified killers. You yeah. know what? Hey, listen. I remember that. Hey, listen, you know who Ryan, hey, real talk, you know who Ryan reminds me of? Steve Smith from the Carolina Panthers. (laughs) That's the exact same person. No bullshit. (laughs) So, yeah, but I didn't realize how that affected me not having, I had a good stepfather, but there was always that little kid in me that wondered why his father, his bio father wasn't there, didn't want him. And I broke, I was a grown man and I cried like a baby. And 
I got it out and I was good from that point. But because of because of what happened with that and 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 those you know questions that I never got to answer, I never got to talk to my father about that. He still struggles with sobriety and everything. But I forgave him. I wrote him a letter. I don't know where he is, but I sent it to my aunt because he used to stay with her every once in a while. Um, but I got it off my chest and I wanted to let him know I forgive you. I still love you because you're my father. Scripture tells me to honor my mother and father, not if they're doing the right thing, but simply because they are my mother and father. And so I, I honor him for that, but it also taught me I don't ever want my kids to feel that way. I'm going to be there for them emotionally, um, you know, for discipline purposes, yes, but I have to be vulnerable with them. I have to be loving with them so that they can know that daddy loves them and is not afraid to say it. So if anything, I'm, I'm overkill on the love piece um, just so they don't ever have to go through what I would one thing that's on the horizon for us, fellas, and, and I want to get this out there. Eventually, we're going to come around to this. We're going to have to talk about mental health and more specifically within our community. Yes, sir. Here's an ugly word for you. Therapy. <laughs> ugly word in the black community. It is, yeah. man. You're going to have to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. We, we run from that, man. And I ran from it for years, man. And uh, I'll be willing to tell stories because I've seen one and it helped me tremendously. Yeah. So, so I'm waiting for that conversation. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Yes, sir. All right, Ryan, man. Uh, uh, we're going to go into uh, your career and, and what it is you do. Uh, kind of give us a short roadmap, man, about how you got there, man. I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version. Um, okay. We, uh, I graduated from McKinney, uh, Robert H. McKinney School of Law in 2004 here in Indy. I started my career uh, practicing at a medium-sized law firm called Lewis Wagner. We did uh, the bread and butter of that firm was insurance defense. So I handled everything from minor uh, motor vehicle accidents to catastrophic injuries, including death. Um, had to deal with a lot of uh, uh, asbestos and, and mixed dust litigation. People that worked in the mill for years that started developing mesothelioma, asbestosis. Mm -hmm. We represented the premises owners and the product manufacturers. And so I uh, got to see some interesting things there. I went out on my own uh, in 2008, February 2008, started my own firm, Ryan Gardner PC. Uh, did a lot of work in federal court, um, handled a lot of employment discrimination claims. Um, still did some of the things I did at the law firm, but I just did them for plaintiffs at that point. That taught mm -hmm. me how to, that defense work taught me how to be a much better plaintiff's attorney. Um, and so I handled a lot of those things uh, in federal court and in state court. Um, and then I uh, became a, I went in-house in 2013. Um, I had a contract with a public defender from 2008 to 2013. So I was representing parents in the juvenile cases, uh, the uh, abuse and neglect cases and termination of parental rights cases. And then uh, I went in-house and worked for the Guardian at Lightham from 2013 to 2019. Um, and then in 2019, became a magistrate uh in the juvenile court and then a year and a half later uh the governor appointed me to my current position um and i started there in january 2021 um where i'm the presiding judge in, in the family division civil court family division 10. sidebar uh i was once involved i was in a jewelry pool one time when i was a younger man and i got i came here before one of those uh ass bust those cases and i brought up the word steel mill and that prosecutor didn't get my ass out of that fast enough man. <laughs> <laughs> I said, my uncle was in the steel mills. He said, I yes. get him out of here. <laughs> they, they didn't want you tight in the pool. 
So yeah. no, listen, man. You, I want to talk to you specifically, more specifically about what you're working a juvenile court. Um, from my research online, uh, it said that juvenile court is meant to hold people accountable while assessing the chances of rehabilitation. And I want to know from you, where are we as far as a society? Where are we as far as leveling the playing field of, of rehabilitation versus our willingness to punish? you know, young men that, that run afoul. We're getting there. Um, the whole purpose of the adult system is, is deterrence and punishment. The, the whole point of the juvenile justice system is care, treatment, and rehabilitation. So um, we, you know, we have even different language. We don't, we don't find them guilty. We find them true. Mm. Uh, we don't go to sentencing for youth. We go to disposition. Um, and so there's different language um, so that you don't they don't carry the stigma with them. Now, they may have to be on probation and some things like that. But the thing I think that we're doing well um, is that there are several services oftentimes paid for by the Department of Child Services um, that are specifically geared toward dealing with whatever trauma um, these kids have had in their past. Because, often, you know, we know the old saying hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so many of these kids, you know, have had, you know, their dual status. So they may have uh, some history on the abuse and neglect side. So they have suffered trauma at the hands of the people who are supposed to love them the most. Um, and then they go out and they are more likely to engage in, in uh, high risk, you know, dangerous behavior. So you try to get them uh, therapy. Oftentimes you're dealing with therapy. You're, you know, you have people in place to make sure that they are getting an education, that they're enrolled in educational um, programs. Uh, you have college, you have um, day reporting programs and, and mentoring programs that oftentimes will expose them to things that are far beyond anything they're used to outside of their front door. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, they'll go on college tours. They'll come back with, you know, these wide eyes, like, you know, they know that they can do other things except what they've been engaging in. So I think we really do that well. There's been a lot of focus lately on mental health. There's a, a new national mental health hotline that uh, Indiana, of course, is part of. And so the whole goal behind that is to try to make sure that people who may be having mental health crises, including kids, don't wind up going to jail. They, there are other places and um, there are services in place and resources in place to try to direct and divert these people to the services that they need instead of throwing them in a jail cell or detention facility and further traumatizing them and, and exacerbating whatever systems they uh, symptoms they have. So uh, we're doing a lot, uh, a lot better there. Um, but, uh, I'm also the chair of, uh, Marion County JDAI is the juvenile detention alternatives initiative. And so that's kind of a transforming juvenile probation, uh, effort that's actually nationwide in the Marion County is a site, um, for transformed juvenile probation. And so there's a lot that goes into making sure that we look at data, uh, to see how best we can serve those kids on probation or keep them off probation. What services can we implement pre-arrest and post-arrest so we can divert them and they don't have uh, uh, true findings that follow them into adulthood. So there's a lot that goes into that, but just kind of in a nutshell uh, to answer your question, Herm. I brought my, I want you to know, I brought my law and order mouth to talk to you today, man. You know what I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's, it's all right. It's all right. It's a dirty mouth. It's a dirty mouth. Hey. Hey, <laughs> no, that was, uh, that was great. Uh, I, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing in the community. Let's talk about representation. A close friend of mine talks about how important it is 
she's a guidance counselor at a high school. She talks about how important it is for uh, young black kids to one, see us so that they know that they can achieve you know, their goals and two, that they have access to us. Um, on your career path, I'm sure you ran into many mentors. Do you have any that you want to shout out outside of your father that, you know, really kind of guided you and kept your head on straight, kept you on the path? Yes, sir. Uh, Tennyson Smith. Um, that brother is, he was the first person I met down at IU when I went. He's two two years older than me. Turns out he's from Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my folks were, we were at the store getting stuff from my room before they were taking off because they were dropping me off. Right. And, uh, I hear my mother, my dad and I went to some store in this plaza and then she, my mother was in the hair supply store. So we went back to meet her and I walk in and I hear my mother saying, now you watch out for my baby now. And I'm like, Oh God, no. <laughs> um, and so, so I come around the corner and she's standing there talking to, you know, this, you know, guy. Um, and it was, you know, tennis and we met, she's like, he's from Gary and blah, blah, blah. So he took me under his wing. I mean, just a wonderful individual. We hung out. Uh, mm-hmm. We went to lunch together. I met, you know, Corey and, and Larvell and the rest of the crew down there, you know, mm-hmm. after I met him. Right. But all these years later, you know, over 20 years later, we're still just as tight as we always were. And I think the thing that, that stood out to, to the, the most to me is that my dad was, you know, he he's my dad. Yeah. But this guy was closer in age to me. And he's always been a mentor in terms of what it means to be a godly man period mm-hmm. what it means to be a godly husband mm-hmm. uh, what it means to be a godly father um this man calls and i mean he will pray you under a table um mm-hmm. and he calls and he calls just to check on me he sends me prayers via text message we do this for one another mm-hmm. um and we call and just kind of talk uh catch up see how one another's families are doing and we never get off without praying for one another um mm-hmm. and just a phenomenal individual and being able to watch him with his family, he was married before I was, but to watch him with his family, to right. see how he interacted with his children, the emotion he showed his children, and the way he esteemed everybody else so much more and better than himself. It was just just watching walk in scripture. And yeah. uh um and you know he's an ordained minister now and he he and his wife have a, a ministry out where they deal with you know marriage counseling and people who uh, have mental health issues and they point their, their faith based so they point them to the cross phenomenal mm-hmm. um, individual i would say outside of my dad my biggest mentor even including the the, the ones who helped mentor me into my profession but my mm-hmm. biggest mentor the one who had the greatest impact on my life was tennyson smith because that grounding scripture says iron sharpens iron Right, and we two like-minded brothers, and I mean that brother was just straight sharpening me over the years. We sharpened one another, um, mm. and he and I both are the same way when it comes to how we we don't allow everybody to speak into our lives. You got to be careful about that. Um, but we, he trusts me, I trust him, and mm. uh, we, you know, he has mentored me from a spiritual uh, and a godly manhood perspective that uh, has carried me. <laughs> From you know the my very early years in college to now, and so mm-hmm. I, I thank God for him as well. Uh, in terms of folks who are not family, I would probably have to say um, a guy named Jimmy McMillan. Uh, everybody calls him Tic Tac. Uh, he's a big brother to me, um, and uh, I met him in undergrad. Phenomenal guy. Um, works like he has no personal life. Parties like he has no job. 
Um, <laughs> there's a running joke that dude gonna drop dead at, at 40. Well, he's past 40 now. He's almost 50, but um, just a amazing story. Um, he, he, he it takes him to tell his story, but just he went from you know basically failing out of college to uh, he came from Chicago. You know, he watched you know witnessed domestic violence. You know, his his father shot his mom. Uh, he tells us just this unbelievable story of, of triumph in, in the face of bad situations. And um, he got back on his horse. He worked, put himself through college, um, went on to law school uh, and uh, now is uh, uh, in a high position over at uh, uh, Penske, uh, he, over at the does a lot of Indy 500 or whatnot, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Motor Speedway, but he's uh, just a phenomenal guy. Always gives really good advice. Um, always there when you need him. Uh, so I would say him. And then there's one other guy, John Trimble, uh, who was uh, uh, the managing partner at the firm that I was at, uh, that I started my career at. And we are still tight to this day. He's like a big brother to me, uh, older than much older than I am, but um, just always made himself available to me anytime I needed something, anytime I needed advice he was always there. And so they are probably the two, and my dad, probably the three main reasons that I, I'm trying, I always try to give back any way I can and make time for people because they always did it for me. Hey, that's what's up, man. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, working with the community, man, and um, putting back a lot of what you learned into uh, where you came from. I think that's important. Yes, sir. Um, and when dealing with that, man, uh, we spoke briefly on uh, healthy relationships um, here a little bit ago. So with that and with your experiences dealing with youth, dealing with families, um, how often do you encounter a situation where um, you have an unhealthy relationship between mom and dad or a situation to where we can't see eye to eye? Because nowadays, fatherhood looks uh, a lot of different ways. You have fatherhood living inside the home and you have fatherhood looking outside the home. So that has to be uh, a healthy relationship, healthy communication across the board, because um, it's already difficult enough to have a broken home. So yeah. how often do you run into that, man? And when you see that, uh, maybe you see a, a young man or a young lady in front of you on several different occasions, uh, do you see that a lot where you have family just having an unhealthy, toxic relationship with one another? And if they can get just get past that to be able to healthily communicate with one another, it, I'm sure that would really help. How often do you do you run into that? All the time. Mm. It, it is the overwhelming majority of what I see on a daily basis from really? the fraternity matters and uh, and the divorce matters. Um, you are dealing with people who... Um, you know, there's a thin line between love and hate. Sure is. And, uh, these people laid down and had a child together, and then the next thing, you know, they can't stand the sight of one another. Yeah. And but they also can't stay away from each other because they're constantly filing things in court right. um, uh, because they want to hold one another contempt or or modify parenting time or whatever. And so a lot of times you're you're dealing with situations that's like you all can't can't really really can't come together and discuss these things and come to an agreement. Because what I often tell people is, nobody knows what works for your, your family and your children better than you do. But if you can't come to an agreement, you're going to put it in the hands of somebody who doesn't know you, right. who doesn't know your children. And I'm going to make the decision for you. 
Mm-hmm. And when I issue an order, you're going to have to follow it. And if you don't, we're going to have problems. So it's always better for you all to come up with an agreement. If you come up with an agreement that works for you, I'll approve it. Right. I'm not going to step into it and, and, and modify anything or say, I don't like this part. No, it works for you. It works for your kids. It works for me. But when they can't do that, which is oftentimes, then I have to be honest with them and tell them, listen, I'm, I'm going to listen to each and every one of you. And I'm going to take the evidence that you give me. But before I issue this order, there's still time. And if you all can come to an agreement that works for the both of you, that is the best thing to do. Because what they what these folks forget, and I think in their fervor to fight one another, um, there's also there's there's oftentimes the they forget that the people who are hold them hurt the most aren't them, it's the kids. It's the kids. You know, the kids love both their parents. You're right. And and so um, I have to remind them of that. And sometimes that will breed a re- resolution and other times it won't. They, they, they're they willing to roll the dice and, and, and deal with the order I issue. On the other hand, in the delinquency cases, I often don't see um, fathers at all. Uh, there are very, there are some cases where dad is there. Um, right. Don't get me wrong. But the overwhelming majority of the time we're dealing with mama and big mama. Uh, and dad's, <laughs> And it and it and that's just it's it's just the reality of the situation, and so I see that often. And I there is probably no service that I order more pretrial service that I order more than mentoring, because oftentimes these a first offense used to be shoplifting. Now mm-hmm. it's armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's gun charges. You know now it's it's very. Uh, dangerous things, you know, criminal recklessness where you're shooting in, into a crowd or whatnot. Right. Um, so I'll order, you know, pretrial service of mentoring all the time on those cases because though just to put a positive male role model who's come from these same streets, who's had a lot of the same experiences, mm-hmm. our kids are, are like us. They didn't want to hear anything from anybody who hadn't gone through anything, who doesn't have a story to tell, but you have credibility with them. When you have lived that life and somebody that can say, hey, I've been there, I've done that. This is what I went through. You don't want to go through that that same thing. There's so much more out there for you. And these kids do so much better when you put that person in place um, that they can identify with and that they feel comfortable opening up to. you got to find somebody that has credibility with them. Are there any mentoring programs for fathers that you know of? There's a good um, program through Fathers and Families that um teaches uh they 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 teach uh men uh how to be better fathers they give them parenting education um i order that uh on the uh on a lot of my abuse and neglect cases um oftentimes the father you know might be might not be the cause of what the issue is and so i'll even if they are i'll oftentimes order a father's engagement um and uh, they'll get through father engagement or they'll go through a program for fathers and families that will teach them strategies to, for how to deal with children and, you know, understanding, you know, the adolescent brain and how to communicate with them and, and how to be there for them. And a lot of guys come through that program and, and just sing its praises because, you know, they're new to fatherhood or they just, even though they're not new, they really haven't had anybody to show them or they haven't had a good example of what a father is. And so they, so they in our house. Yeah. Yeah. And so they learn a lot from uh, from that program and it, it, it does wind up helping quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I would say fathers and families um, 
if, if, if you know anybody who needs something like that, they, they, they do a really good job of, of mentoring new fathers and, and providing them with good information and, and classes and education and things of that nature and support. They have a good support network too. Hey, let me ask another, another question of you, Ryan is, uh, I feel like a judge like you, when you have a situation where there's a family and there's not a father involved, I feel like a judge like yourself kind of stands in that gap. Is it a fair assessment? It is. Okay. So I was going to say with respect to that and res- respect to, you know, your own upbringing and your own issues with your own father, um, how are you able to isolate your own personal feelings you know, when you're making your decisions about these cases? So my own, you know, personal experience kind of and my own feelings, you know, it, it, it never absolves the person in front of me of what's going on, but it does help me to put it in a, in a perspective and, and, and understand, you know, not look at them as a number, but look at them as somebody who needs to be helped. And quite frankly, having seen some of the things I've seen and endured some of the things I've endured, it helps me to be patient with that person Um, because they're not just a number. They're not just some useless individual who's, you know, we should, we should give up on. Um, They are somebody who has dealt with trauma themselves. And so I think the, the system has to get out of the habit of asking what's wrong with you and start to ask what happened to you. Um, And I think when we do that, it helps us to to be able to help that family, help that kid to kind of pull them out off of the the path and the trajectory they're on and show them that there's another way. Just a a quick example uh, in in terms of representation. There was a kid who was in front of me on a gun charge um, and you you could tell he wasn't used, he wasn't expecting to see me sitting up there. And so he wanted to, we were at his disposition here and he wanted to explain to me why he had the gun because there's always a reason that they have the gun. And so I let him talk. Now, he and I were the only two black males in the room, only two black men in the room, black people in the room. And this is where representation matters because he said he was telling me what he, why he had the gun and he ended every sentence with, you feel me? You feel me? The prosecutor was, who's a white woman, was absolutely appalled. She thought he was being disrespectful. His public defender, um, was upset by it too. And so eventually she touches his hand and says, you can't say that to the judge. I said, he absolutely can. He's not being disrespectful. What this young man is telling, asking me is if I understand him. I said, I do understand you, you can continue. So he continues. Now this is an opportunity for me to speak his language. When he's done, I told him he had been detained for about 30 days. I said, I'm gonna let you out. Here are your release conditions. If you cannot comply with my release conditions, you're going to be sitting right in front of me in that same chair, in that same jumpsuit, suit, and I'm going to have to try to figure out whether or not I release you. Don't put me in that position. You feel me? And, uh, and <laughs> he thought about it. He thought about it. <laughs> he thought about it for a second, and this was his response. What's up? <laughs> I told everybody in the court I think he gets it <laughs> never had a problem with that young man he he went on got his GED he's, he's doing fine so hey that that hey hey man bravo <laughs> hey communication works wonders doesn't it man mm-hmm. hey that is a master class right there <laughs> <laughs> 
You got to know how to talk to them, bro. You, know? yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to speak your language, man. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, you do. Yes, sir. As a young adult, I try to uh, face the courts without uh, any kind of legal representation. So um, just talk to the audience about what it is and what it looks like when you don't have legal representation when you go before the judge. If you can afford counsel, I always, I would always advise people to get counsel. Um, if you cannot, um, I would say to check with like entities like the Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic. Um, you can uh, be referred to attorneys who can do pro bono work through the Indianapolis Bar Association, um, uh, Marion County Bar Association. There are, there are several different ways you can look into um, uh, um finding uh, legal counsel uh, at no cost. Now, a lot of times those folks are booked up, but if you can get one, if you can't afford one and you need need counsel and you can get one that way, it, it will be advisable because you can proceed on your own. Um, if you are in agreement with your, you know, soon to be ex-spouse or in agreement with, uh, if, if you weren't married, if there's a paternity matter, if you're in agreement with the mother, on the terms of what is it support parenting time all that great you all can submit an agreement and the court will nine times out of ten approve it unless it's missing something that needs to be a defect or has a defect that needs to be cured but if not if you are talking about contested hotly contested issues um like what support should be what your parenting time should be there, you know, allegations being hurled back and forth about the child being unsafe in your care, which I see often. Um, it is always best to have counsel because you can proceed on your own, but the court has to and will hold you to the same standard as an attorney, even though you don't know the law. So if you're trying to get certain things into evidence and you don't have counsel, the court still has to hold you to the same standard. So it may be something that's admissible, but if you don't know how to get it in, <laughs> Yeah. It becomes a problem. Now, the the, yeah. the attorney, you know, the rules allow for more nowadays. Uh, recent amendments to the rules ha allow for judges to kind of give pro se litigants a little more leeway. And so, I will kind of you know take that tack to just say, hey, you filed some things. Make sure opposing counsel has had an opportunity to look at it. Are you asking to? admit these into evidence for the court's consideration. Like, oh, yeah. So I'll just kind of go one by one and ask the attorney, do you have any objection to this coming in? And then I'll use the rules of evidence to determine whether or not it should come in. Um, but it's always much harder when there are contested issues um, and you don't have counsel. If you don't and you're like, I can't afford it, I can't find a pro bono attorney, it's fine to move forward on your own. But I would definitely say, Think about the things that you want to, um, the the message you want to send, uh, be as concise as possible um, and understand that the, the court is going to hold you to the same rules. So I, I had a guy come in pro bono that knew that and brushed up on his rules of evidence. And I mean, he was on point. <laughs> he mm. was he was really good. And mm. um, and so he was able to you know kind of go toe to toe with the attorney in explaining his objection to certain things. Because when an attorney sees an unrepresented, unrepresented person, they will oftentimes ask questions in such a way that it's allowing inadmissible hearsay into the hearing. Yeah. Um, but they know the other side doesn't know that. But I can't object on behalf of, I'm the judge, I can't represent the other side. Right. But what I typically do is, if I see an attorney doing that, 
I'm fair. So when they start objecting, when the attorney starts objecting, when the other side who's unrepresented starts trying to get hearsay evidence in, I'll say, well, wait a minute, counsel. You just got a whole bunch of hearsay in. I'm going to allow it for the other side, too. And so, you know, that yeah. that tends to back the attorneys off of more hearsay. Yeah, they but, chill out on that one. But yeah, yeah so it, it's, it's always advisable to have counsel because counsel, they know how to navigate these rough waters. Um, but if you can't have one, brush up on the Indiana Rules of Evidence. Um, uh, make sure that you have any documentation that you want to admit into evidence handy. Um, and make sure that the other attorney, the attorney on the other side, has seen it. Um, and and I think I think you can you can be fine. You know, depending on what it is. But if it's something major contested where there are allegations of, you know, drug abuse, you know, safety concerns, right. you want to have counsel. Okay. Yeah, man, I brushed up on my judge Mathis. Thought I, you know, knew what I was going to do. <laughs> <laughs> they threw all my receipts away. It was like these are gifts, sir. I was like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah, yeah. I learned a, a valuable lesson that time. Went back with a lawyer, and uh, yeah. we got some act right. So, very yeah. important. A lot yeah, of black men are afraid of court. They they try to stay away from it. They treat it like the plague, man. But you you want to be more uh, educated on what it is that's needed. Uh, so yep. you can go in there prepared and do what you need to do. So absolutely. Last one for me, Ryan, man, with uh the some of the issues that we're having within our community, uh, with our young, young people, period. Do you feel like um with the number of of youth that appear before you, do you feel like that we have appropriate resources to serve everyone, or do you think there's holes that some of these children fall into sometimes because uh, they're not able to get those resources that may be available to some, but maybe not all. I think we're doing a, a decent job. I, I'm one who always thinks there's room for improvement. Right. Um, and I think that um, there are there are plenty of services, you know, uh, available to folks. I think the focus now on mental health um, mm -hmm and how to address that and how best to divert kids who may not necessarily need to be on formal probation and have formal proceedings, diverting them to, you know, we now have a, um, uh, uh, through our JDAI efforts, we've established a, um, through the work of phenomenal people uh, who have been doing this for years, uh, established a diversion program that for the last year, over the last year and a half, has have has diverted over three hundred kids. So yeah. that's kept them out of the system, and given them, you know, uh, uh, given them the, the resources and the services they need. And I'm talking everything from tutoring to um, uh, mentoring to grocery assistance for their families. I mean, it, it's things that. So I think that there are, there are significant strides being made to try to help people not to continue on the same trajectory and expose them to the services and the help that they need automatically. Um, so I think we're, I think we're, there's improvement that can be made, but I think we're, we're making some good strides toward, toward, you know, uh, toward giving people what they need for the families and for the kids. And wrapping everything up, uh, first things first, 
I want to make sure to give Ryan a big, big hand, man. We appreciate yes. his brother, Judge Ryan, King of Darden, man. We appreciate it. Damn, that boy good. You <laughs> <laughs> did nothing but come on here and drop jewels, man. We appreciate you, brother. We appreciate hey, let me say something out loud, man. You know, uh, even from the time when we were teens, man, we, you know, we knew you were going to be something else, man. We could tell it. We could smell it on your breath. I mean, hey, <laughs> you know, dog, listen, I, I'm insanely proud of you, man. I am very 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 d- delighted to, to be able to call you a friend man a, a friend that i've had for basically 700 years thank you for for sharing what you know with us man we love you period yeah. love you love you guys too man i appreciate you letting me come on i'm proud of you guys for, for the podcast and what you're doing it need it needs to happen this is a safe space for men to come in just fit and we oftentimes don't have that um and i think that this is wonderful i know it's gonna blow up um, and I and I'm, I'm glad that I've, I've had my, my small part of it. So thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. Love you guys. All the best to you. Hey man, we appreciate it, man. We appreciate it. Uh, in closing, man, like I said, we appreciate the you reaching out, letting us know what you think of these episodes. Uh, hit us up uh, on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, firmfatherhood at gmail.com. Any kind of inquiries, you want to talk about something, you want to touch on the subject. Drop a subject, man. Drop a message. Let us know what's going on. But uh, until next time, I'm Stephen Worthy. Herman Trass. Earl Wallace. And this was Firm Fatherhood, man. We'll see you next time. We're out.